Being in faraway places with my wife and five children was always fun. Getting to those places in a minivan, not so much. Can anyone relate? Can I get an amen? If you can't relate, you can at least imagine. And so we used to pass the time playing a game called I Spy. I'm sure many of you are familiar with that game. Perhaps you've played it yourself. If not, the game works like this. I say, I spy something yellow. And so Kathy and the kids would immediately start to look for that yellow thing that I spied. And the first one to spy that thing wins. If I said, I spy something beautiful, the kids would all look at my wife. Except my son, who would say, no, look at me, look at me. (laughs) Okay, maybe that's true, maybe it's not. It's probably more true than not true. In any case, it was an engaging game and it helped us pass the time. Well, this morning, you could say that our lives as believers in Christ is like the game I spy. You and I, always looking for trying to spy the glory of God and then getting others to look at that glory with us, seeing the glory of God for ourselves, showing the glory of God to others. This is our life's mission, and it's so simple to remember and so satisfying to do. Now listen to this great goal toward which all history and all humanity is moving. This should encourage you when you watch the news. This should encourage you when you believe that the world is going to hell in a a handbasket. The prophet Habakkuk writes this, for the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as waters cover the sea. So take heart. All is not lost, but how will this glory goal be fulfilled? Well, through you and through me. And so I want to turn us into spies this morning so that we're always looking for the glory of God and always seeking to show God's glory to others. We see the glory, we show the glory. That's the mission to which God has called us. And then I'll say this as well. Since we are looking once again at an Old Testament passage this morning, that 2 Corinthians chapter 4 tells us this, For God who said, Let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. So this morning, as we go through this passage, think about the face of Christ. Whenever I speak of the glory of God, because He is, by the eternal plan, by the eternal decree of God, the manifestation of God's glory. If you have your Bibles with you, I'm going to ask you to take them now and turn in the Old Testament once again this week to the prophet Isaiah, the 40th chapter. If you don't have a Bible with you, there should be one in your pew. 
And when you found your place in Isaiah chapter 40, I'm going to ask you to stand so that we might hear, read together the word of the living God. Isaiah chapter 40, beginning in verse 3, this is the word of the Lord. A voice cries in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up, every mountain and hill be made low. The uneven ground shall become level and the rough places a plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed and all flesh shall see it together for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. A voice cries, and I said, a voice says, cry, and I said, what shall I cry? All flesh is grass, and all its beauty is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades when the breath of the Lord blows on it. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Go on up to a high mountain, O Zion. Herald of good news, lift up your voice with strength, O Jerusalem. Herald of good news, lift it up, fear not, say to the cities of Judah, behold your God. Let's pray together. Father, in heaven, once again, we thank you for your word. Again, may we never lose sight of the great blessing it is that you, the God of the universe, would speak to us. And so, Lord, as... Your voice speaks through your word this morning. We pray that your spirit would give us understanding of your word, love for it, a passion to live it out in our lives. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. I'll ask you to look again at verse 9. Because in this verse, God immediately puts his people on mission. God here calls his people to be part of his glorious work in the world. Look at verse 9. Get you up to a high mountain, O Zion, herald of good news. Lift up your voice with strength, O Jerusalem, herald of good news. Lift it up, fear not. Say to the cities of Judah, behold your God. This is mission. Get up. Go, commands God. Lift up your voice, commands God. Notice the three extreme characteristics that give gravity and glory to the, to the mission before us. First, Go to a high mountain, God says. Not just any mountain, a high mountain, a very, very high mountain. When Genesis uses this word high, it describes the, the flood that covered the earth. And scripture says that waters prevailed so mightily on the earth that all the high mountains under the whole heaven were covered. The earth was so completely covered with water that even the highest mountains were submerged. So we hear God speak to us in this verse. We think of the most prominent place 
We think of the most visible place. That's the place to tell the good news of the glorious God that's coming to his people. Second characteristic in verse 9, God says, lift up your voice with strength. This message of this mission requires not a whisper, not a shy voice, not a tentative voice, not a, not a muffled voice, as if we don't want the world to hear our message. No, this message requires a voice of power. Third characteristic, verse 9 says, fear not. And so this message requires from us an assured voice, a voice of utter confidence. Do not fear that God will fail because he never will. Such is the faithful character of our God. Such is his rule over all things at all times and all places that listen, God can call his people to mission with good news that is yet to happen because it will most certainly come to pass. It will never be true. Never be true. That God's people set out on mission, that they end up, that they shouted out and nothing happened. Never. Believers in Christ. We will never have a red-faced, embarrassed moment because God never fails. Extremely so. For as Hebrews 10, 23 tells us, he who promised is faithful. Never fear. God will never fail. So, the mountain is high. The news is great. The voice is strong and the fear is gone. Extremity marks the mission to which God's people are called. From the highest place with the loudest voice and the most confidence, God's people are to go about the mission of saying, Behold your God. Our problem is that you and I don't often feel very missional, do we? We don't live very missionally, do we? Because too often, we believe that mission is somebody else's job. And if you and I don't feel particularly inclined to mission in the first place, then we certainly won't feel compelled to do mission. Extremely. But God has given us a remedy for that lack of interest, for that flagging interest, for that smoldering passion. God has provided something compelling to set you and me about mission. And you know what it is. It's his glory. It's his glory. That's why every day must be an eye spy day for us. It's looking for God's glory. And it's in seeing God's glory. When we look, and we most certainly will see it, that's what inspires us and enables us not only to mission, 
but to extreme mission. Listen, God knows. God knows the power that seeing his glory has on people, and that's why God shows glory to us. I'm going to give you now eight biblical examples of how seeing God's glory inspires and enables mission. Don't look at your watch. Don't look at your watch. There are eight of them, but it won't take that long. I promise, I think. First, we have Jacob. He was self-centered, a liar, and a cheat. But then he spied God's glory, and he dreamed. And behold, there was a ladder set up to the earth, set up on the earth, and the top of it reached to heaven. And behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. Glory. God gave Jacob a vision of his glory in heaven. And what happened? Jacob was a changed man. God changed Jacob's name to Israel. And through Jacob, God would bring about the 12 tribes of Israel, the nation of God. Seeing God's glory inspires mission. Seeing God's glory empowers mission. Secondly, an exasperated, ready to give up Moses, says to God, Why are you treating me, your servant, so harshly? Have mercy on me. What did I do to deserve the burden of all these people? How can I carry them to the land you swore to give their ancestors? God answered that question. He showed Moses his glory. Then Moses saw the God of Israel. There was under his feet, as it were, a pavement of sapphire stone like the very heaven for clearness, and he beheld God. So you see, Moses saw the glory of God, and he continued on in mission for 40 more years until the very last day of his life, leading God's people to the promised land. Because seeing God's glory inspires mission. Seeing God's glory empowers mission. Thirdly, There's the prophet Daniel. He saw God's glory. He writes, as I looked, thrones were placed, and the ancient of days took his seat, and his clothing was white as snow, and the hair of his head like pure wool. His throne was fiery flames. A stream of fire issued and came out from before him. A thousand thousand served him, and ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The court sat in judgment, and the books were open. The glory of God. A, a lion's den and a fiery furnace are nothing compared to seeing the glory of God. And Daniel's faith never wavered. He served God's people faithfully for the entirety of their captivity in Babylon because seeing God's glory inspires mission. Seeing God's glory empowers mission. Then we come to Ezekiel. This is what he saw. Over the heads of the living creatures, there was the likeness of an expanse shining like all-inspiring crystal. 
And there was the likeness of a throne in appearance like sapphire. And seated above the likeness of a throne was a likeness with a human appearance. Such was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of the Lord. And when I saw it, I fell on my face. Seeing God's glory inspires mission. Seeing God's glory empowers mission. Then we come to the New Testament. Stephen, called to be one of the first deacons of the church and the first martyr for his faith in Christ. Stephen did not recant his faith in Christ when a mob stood before him with stones in hand, ready to stone him to death. He faced death without fear because he saw this vision. Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and he saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. He said, behold, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Seeing God's glory inspires mission. Seeing God's glory empowers mission. It enables you to live well and to die well. Sixthly, we have the Apostle Paul. Before he ever set out on a missionary journey, before he ever planted a church, before he ever wrote a word of Scripture, he saw the glory of God. This is what he writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. He writes in the third person, but he's referring to himself. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was called up to the third heaven, whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And I know that this man was caught up into paradise, whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And he heard things that cannot be told, which man may not utter. Seeing the glory of God inspires mission. Seeing the glory of God empowers mission. On three missionary journeys, Paul planted multiple churches, all while suffering with a thorn in the flesh that God did not take away. But it was okay with Paul because God, Paul had seen God's glory. And then seventh, we come to the Apostle John. This is what he saw. After this, I looked and behold a door standing open in heaven. At once I was in the spirit and behold a throne stood in heaven and one seated on the throne and he who sat there had the appearance of Jasper and Carnelian and around the throne was a rainbow that had the appearance of an emerald. The glory of God. You see, John was not required to be martyred like his fellow apostles Instead, John was called to live a long life, a very long life, an exceptionally long, unheard of long in his day life. And he was called to do it, faithfully loving God, faithfully serving God's people, and faithfully proclaiming the gospel to the end. But he could do it because seeing God's glory inspires mission. And seeing God's glory empowers mission. That's why you and I must always seek to spy 
the glory of God. Now, for the final example, let's come back to Isaiah, the man, the prophet, on mission for God. And, and follow along with this process. It's so important. In the first five chapters of the book of Isaiah, Isaiah is referred to in the third person. Chapter 1, verse 1, the vision of Isaiah, the son of Amos, third person. Following that are the words that God speaks. Again, in Isaiah chapter 2, verse 1, the word that Isaiah, the son of Amos, saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. Again, in the third person. And following that are the words that God speaks. Because God speaks these words, they're true words, they will come to pass. The words are right, they're good, and everything they say, because every word of God brings about His perfect, sovereign plan. It's easy for you and for me, I think, to have a third-person view of God's Word. To honor it as God's Word, to defend it as God's Word, objectively. Presbyterians are particularly good at this. We always have been. But there's something entirely different that happens when that word becomes personal. When seeing God's glory is not third person, but firsthand. And that's what happens to the prophet Isaiah in chapter 6. He writes, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw, I saw the Lord sitting up on a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. And he heard the angels calling one to the other, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And so God takes his objective truth and he makes it personal, experientially so for Isaiah. And Isaiah's response to seeing the glory of the Lord is this, woe is me. For I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. And so here, Isaiah acknowledges his total depravity and the light of the glory of God. And then the Lord sent an angel to Isaiah with a coal, a burning coal, with which the angel touched Isaiah's mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. And so Isaiah is forgiven. And then the Lord asks, after this vision of his glory, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And the Isaiah who had just seen the glory of the Lord said, Here I am, send me. And so Isaiah joins all the others, all on mission with God because they had seen the glory of God. Because as you've heard this morning, seeing God's glory inspires mission. Seeing God's glory empowers mission. And so we have the gambit here, don't we? A youthful David, a very old John, an infirm Apostle Paul, a tired, exasperated Moses, 
and on fire Stephen and a broken Isaiah. All of us can find our personal situation in any one of these men. And actually, I hesitated to use these examples from Scripture because I feared it might work against me and make us think the opposite of what we are supposed to think. That we might come to believe that mission is for the great ones. The mission is for the famous ones. Listen, it's not. Look again in verse 9. These commands in this verse are in the singular. The call to mission goes out to one thing, to one unit, and that is Zion. That is Jerusalem, corporately, together, all of God's people. And so the call to mission goes out to you and to me this morning. The call goes out to each of us to look at the face of Christ to see the glory of God, and God already knows, God already knows what that's going to do for us. He knows the power of what seeing His glory in the face of Christ will do to you and me. So, will you do your job? Your job isn't so much to find your mountain, to find your voice, or to overcome your fears. No. When I said last week that the structure of Isaiah is God-inspired, I meant it. Verses 3 through 5 show that God is glorious. Verses 6 through 8 show that human beings are not glorious. Verses 3 through 5 show that God is infinite, powerful, unfailingly faithful, and unstoppable. Verses 6 through 8 show that humans are finite, fragile, fading, powerless to help ourselves. God knows the only hope, the only help for people who are not glorious is to see His glory. And so He says in verse 5, the glory of the Lord shall be revealed. And all flesh shall see it together. So your job and my job is to look for the glory of God in the face of Christ. That's your motivation. That's your power. On your own, you can't find the mountain. On your own, you can't find the voice. On your own, you can't find the confidence. But in seeing God's glory in Christ, you can. And so that's your job and my job. And it is a job. We must not be passive. We must look for glory. We must see how God's glory can be found. How it can shine through in all the things of our lives. And when we really see the glory of God in Christ personally, first person, we'll be unstoppable in showing it to others. God will show the mountain God will give the voice. God will overcome the fear. You spy the glory and then show it to others. Let's pray. Father in heaven, again as Moses prayed, we pray again. Show us your glory. We know, Lord, that when we see your glory, when we're captivated by it, awed.